Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom as we are in the heart of recruiting season for Ohio State football. Ohio State going into its final official visit weekend this upcoming weekend, but coming off what was a, a very big official visit weekend for the Buckeyes and a lot of good vibes coming out of that weekend. No commitments out of that weekend yet, but a lot of tweets on Sunday that suggested uh, the weekend went very well, that uh, Ohio State feels really good about its chances of landing some of the top prospects who are on campus over the weekend. And there's three players in particular uh, that certainly stand out from the group who are visiting over the weekend. Uh, number one being KJ Bolden. Uh, five-star safety ranked as the number one safety and the number seven overall prospect in the class. Uh, he's been viewed as a Georgia lean, but uh, his cousin is Perry Eliano. Uh, he's been interested in Ohio State throughout the process. And from everything I've heard, Ohio State is coming out of this past weekend feeling very confident about its chances of landing both uh, K.J. Bolden as well as his high school teammate, at Buford High School in Georgia, Edric Houston, who is also a five-star prospect, ranked as the number 19 overall prospect in the class. He was already, I think we talked about it last week, he was already viewed as a Ohio State lean going into the official visit, somebody who uh, it felt like last weekend was a chance to close the deal with him. And again, no announcements have been made yet, so still time for things to change. But based on everything I've heard, it sounds like uh, Ohio State is feeling really good about where it stands with him as well. And then also Dylan Stewart, another five-star defensive end, ranked as the number nine overall prospect. Uh, he's from Washington, D.C. He's a guy who camped last summer at Ohio State, has had really good things to say about Ohio State ever since, even as he has uh, really taken off as a prospect. I think he was you know, somewhere low top 100 when he camped at Ohio State a year ago. Now he's considered a top 10 overall prospect in his class. And uh, the word is that uh, Ohio State had a really good visit with him as well. I think they had uh, Chase Young on campus for part of that official visit weekend, of course, being another pass rusher from the D.C. area who had uh, incredible success at Ohio State. And it certainly sounds like Dylan Stewart is strongly considering following in his footsteps. And so you look at that trio of prospects and again, nothing announced yet. You know, we'll kind of see what happens there if Ohio State, you know, really can close the deal with those three. But if if Ohio State does, that's exactly the kind of surge of defensive talent that I think o Ohio State needs. And I think certainly a lot of our listeners want to see for the Buckeyes in this 2024 class. Yeah, Dan, it's been a, a talking point ever since really, you know, Ryan Day started that defensive coaching staff overhaul a couple of seasons ago now where, you know, a lot of these guys coming in, the question was kind of, you know, they haven't had to recruit at the highest level of college football before, you know, when you're dealing with five-star guys and things of that nature. And so when we were talking about this 2024 class in particular for a while, it was like, okay, they, they've got a lot of offensive commits, but not a lot of defensive commits, obviously so far in the class, 
just three commits on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, when you talk about Garrett Stover, Peyton Pierce, um, and, and Jalen uh, McLean most recently. And, you know, all those guys are four star talents, Dan, but none of those guys higher than uh, 139 overall when you talk about the 247 sports composite rankings. So, you know, the, the three guys you just named uh, are all five star talents uh, on defense and top 25 overall guys. So, I mean, that would be just a tremendous surge on that side of the ball for Ohio State in that class. Yeah. I mean, y- Ohio State does not currently have a single defensive lineman committed in that class. Uh, just one defensive back in Jalen McClain at safety. And so I think certainly when, when you talk about priorities for Ohio State right now, needs for Ohio State right now in this recruiting class, you know, those are really the two areas along with, I'd say, offensive tackle that you're really looking at right now as the areas where Ohio State needs to land some premier talent. And I think, you know, defensive end is certainly one that you circle because of what happened last year, where Ohio State, they were in the thick of it for Keon Keeley. They were in the thick of it for Damon Wilson. They were in the thick of it for Mateo Uyangale. But all three of those guys went elsewhere. And so Ohio State really does need to close the deal on a couple of these top defensive ends uh, in this class, much like it did, you know, a few years ago when it got JT Tuimoloau and Jack Sawyer. You know, if Ohio State can do that again and bring in a couple pair of five-star defensive ends, it'll certainly strengthen the future outlook for that room when you consider the strong possibility that JT and Jack could both be in the NFL next year. Yeah, Dan, and you mentioned some of those names there, and those are kind of examples of, you know, the fact that the 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 defensive recruiting stuff may be a little bit overblown just because you talk about recent five-star guys that have committed to the program in JT, Jack Sawyer, uh, CJ Hicks, and Sonny Styles, both in 2022. I mean, that's a lot of high caliber defensive talent when you talk about recruiting profile and things of that nature. So, you know, it's not like Ohio State is is just pulling in uh, nothing but, but three stars uh, on defense here in the last few years. But of course, you know, when you're trying to get over that hump, get to the next level, you talk about the, the fact that the defense has kind of been you know, the, the downfall in some of these big games for Ohio State the past couple seasons, uh, can the recruiting, you know, caliber uh, match up with what Ohio State's been able to do on the offensive side of the ball so that Ohio State can really get over the hump and potentially win a national championship in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, this perception that Ohio State's defensive recruiting has lagged way behind its offensive recruiting I don't quite think that's true. I mean, again, you just look at two years ago in 2022, Ohio State's top two prospects in that class were C.J. Hicks, Sonny Styles. They were both the number one players at their position on defense. You look at that class as a whole, four of the top five prospects in that class were defensive players, also including Kenyatta Jackson and Omari Abor in terms of their 24-7 sports composite rankings. You know, They had Gabe Powers in that class, Caden Curry, you know, we've, we, we started to see that, I think, even this spring, a lot of a second year defenders in that class starting to come on and, and, and make a move. And then again, you know, you go back to that 2021 class and you had, you know, you have J, JT to and you had Jack Sawyer and you had Denzel Burke and you had Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams, Jordan Hancock, you know, a lot of guys that we've seen show a lot of potential there on the defensive side of a ball. And so, you know, I think you could look at this past year's class and I I think it would be fair to say that it was an underwhelming class defensively, 
they they missed out on again those free defensive ends we talked about. They missed out on Caleb Downs, who was a top target at safety. So I think it's fair to look at last year's class and say the defensive recruiting wasn't quite where it should be. It, Ohio State did not land any five star defenders in that class, and so I, I think that you know it, it's fair to look at that for last year. But when I think when you just look at the years as a whole. I, I, I don't really think that that's quite fair to say that Ohio State's defensive recruiting has lagged behind. Nevertheless, that's the perception out there. And so with that being the perception and with the reality that the defense has not performed up to expectations in the last couple of years, it becomes all the more important for Ohio State to really hit some home runs in, 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 on the defensive side of the ball. And in this year's class. And obviously it has been a slow start on the defensive side of the ball, but if they can land guys like KJ Bolden, Dylan Stewart, Edric Houston, Kobe Black, a cornerback, he was another five-star who was on campus this week. And it sounded like he enjoyed his visit a lot too. I wouldn't necessarily say Ohio state is a front runner there, but I think Ohio state at least gave itself a chance in that recruitment. Ohio state is also going to have a lot of marquee defenders on campus this weekend, guys like starting with in-state cornerbacks, Bryce West and Aaron Scott, for sure. Those are guys who uh, we'll talk about even more because they're huge priorities for Ohio State in this class, as well as guys like Justin Scott, defensive tackle from Chicago, who's a five-star, uh, Kingston Villamuasa, who's one of the top linebackers in the class. And so a big weekend this past weekend, another big weekend coming up here for Ohio State as it really looks to gain some much needed momentum and and add some big pieces on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and Dan, maybe maybe you know not with the guys that are obviously coming up this weekend, but in terms of that group that we just kind of talked about, anything you're hearing that would indicate, you know, how soon uh, you know a potential announcement could come or anything like that or is it still kind of too soon on that front? Yeah, haven't heard anything specific. I believe Edric Houston's plan is to announce, I think it's August 22, I think that's a date that holds some significance to him. And so I think his plan remains to make his commitment there in, in mid August. But you know, I, the, the rumors were earlier this week that he was going to cancel his official visit to Alabama that he was supposed to make this weekend. And so if that in fact happens, that would be a very good sign for Ohio state. If he decides he doesn't need to go to Alabama. So I think that's very much what Ohio state's hoping for there, even though it's unlikely an announcement will come for two more months. Uh, I know Dylan Stewart told a reporter from, I believe, 24-7 Sports that he is planning to announce this summer, did not give a specific timeline, but it does sound like he's getting close to making a decision, though I believe he will be at South Carolina this upcoming weekend. And then I I don't believe KJ Bolden has said anything in terms of when he plans to make an announcement, but I think uh, it's definitely a possibility that he could make an announcement this summer uh, once these official visits wrap up. And Dan, you talk about the the big, you know, official visit weekend coming up. We've talked about Bryce West and Aaron Scott before, uh, two cornerbacks uh, in that class, of course. And, you know, that, that's an area where, you know, Ohio State doesn't have any cornerback commits. Obviously, we just mentioned that they only have three overall defensively uh, in 2024. And, and you, I think a, a little, uh, maybe a couple of podcast episodes ago, talked about just how important uh, landing those two would be for Ohio State. Um, but the Buckeyes will face a lot of competition with their arch rival Michigan uh, for those two Ohio natives, which kind of makes that all the more important as Ohio State kind of continues to try to keep 
uh, some of this top talent, especially, you know, guys that are Ohio natives uh, out of Ann Arbor. Yeah, and it certainly seems to be shaping up to be a very real battle of Michigan for both of those two. I think that's certainly been the case all along with Aaron Scott. Uh, you know, he just made an official visit to Michigan this this past weekend, and you know he had good things to say about it. I think Oregon's in the mix for Aaron Scott as well. Aaron Scott has uh, said publicly several times that he grew up as an Oregon fan, so I think you know Oregon is a team he's weighing as well. But uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a really important weekend for Ohio State with both of those two. I, I think with Aaron Scott. It, it may be the last chance for Ohio State. He has said that he will probably make an announcement in early July. And so I think if Ohio State is going to have a chance to land Aaron Scott, it needs to knock it out of the park this weekend. It needs to, you know, it is the last weekend of these June official visits. So they are going to have that opportunity to make that lasting impression on both of those guys. And I think that's certainly what they're going for. You know, Bryce West, he's been a little bit, you know, he, 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 there's been times he said he might announce this summer. There's been other times he said, he might drag it out into his senior season. Historically, a lot of Glenville players have taken things pretty deep into the process. And so we'll see how that ultimately plays out with Bryce West, whether he makes a decision here soon or he decides to play things out. But he has already said he is now down to Ohio State and Michigan. So he's either going to play for Ohio State or for the team that dates Ohio State. So, uh, you know, it certainly feels like a Buckeyes versus Wolverines battle for both of those two. And uh, that does undoubtedly increase the importance of of winning those battles. I mean, I think it's very important for Ohio State to win at least one of them. I think Ohio State would like to win both of them. As I sit here right now, I would say that personally, I, I feel much more confident that Ohio State will land Bryce West than I do that Ohio State will land Aaron Scott. Another four-star prospect in that 2024 class on the defensive side of things is uh, Cincinnati native Elias Rudolph, uh, played in Florida last year but is moving back to Cincinnati, uh, announced on Monday that he will no longer be making an official visit to Ohio State this weekend. Uh, and Dan, he's got crystal crystal ball projections to Michigan. Uh, so it sounds like you know that that's a battle the Buckeyes may be losing. But of course, with some of the five-star and, and super high-caliber recruiting recruits that we just mentioned that that seem you know to to have some positive momentum with the Buckeyes that may not be quite as big of a deal um, as it would have been otherwise yeah I mean I think there's two ways to look at it I think if you're looking at it from the uh, pro Michigan point of view you could talk about what we just talked about Bryce West and Aaron Scott and then you talk about Elias Rudolph likely committing to Michigan in a couple weeks and you say Michigan is doing a hell of a job right now recruiting the state down south, as they might call it up there, because you you look at the composite rankings. Elias Rudolph is still listed as a Florida prospect right now because he played in Florida last year. But I would certainly consider him an in-state prospect for Ohio State because he's from Cincinnati. He's moving back to Cincinnati. Uh, And so if you if you add him into the equation now, Michigan in its 2024 class, assuming they do land Elias Rudolph, that would be at least five Ohioans in that class, most notably being Jordan Marshall, a player who Ohio State did really want at running back. He ended up going to Michigan. He's a top 100 prospect. Now, as we've talked about before, the other three Ohioans in that class, Luke Hamilton, Ted Hammond, and Ben Roebuck, are guys who did not get Ohio State offers. And so uh, Michigan is certainly going to play those up as, as wins in the state of Ohio, but you know, Ohio State wasn't really competing with them for those guys. 
as we talk about, you know, these three, I mean, if, if, if Michigan lands Ivor Aaron Scott or Bryce West, I mean, that would be their biggest win yet in this recruiting cycle. If to take either one of those guys away from Ohio state would be a huge win for Michigan because Ohio state very much wants both of them and is, is recruiting both of them very hard. And so those are really the two marquee battles to watch right now uh, between Michigan and Ohio state on the recruiting trail in the case of Rudolph. I would say that I, my guess would be it's not a total coincidence that he made the announcement he would no longer make his official visit a day after this official visit weekend wrapped up where Ohio State seemingly made a great impression on Edric Houston and Dylan Stewart. Because you look at some of the other defensive ends that they've hosted this month as well. Marquise Lightfoot, four-star guy from Chicago. He, he's another guy who uh, Ohio State seems to be in the lead for right now as you know one of their top defensive end targets you know Nigel Smith from Texas is another guy who uh, I I don't know if it, Ohio State is necessarily the front runner but I think they put themselves you know very much into having a chance in that recruitment uh for him and so you know you look at the possibility of landing those four guys at defensive end and you know Elias Rudolph becomes a guy but okay you know, would he even be a take for Ohio State at this point? There hasn't been a whole lot of heavy recruiting communication b- between those two recently. And so, you know, I, 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 I would say, you know, Michigan is, of course, going to play that up as a win over Ohio State if it lands Elias Rudolph. And I think that's fair because he did have an offer from Ohio State he was going to make an official visit to Ohio State. He was a legitimate Ohio State target. And so that would be a win for Michigan over Ohio State that I think they could reasonably claim. But I also think that if Ohio State eventually lands Dylan Stewart and Edric Houston and Marquise Lightfoot, that they will take that trade seven days a week over landing Elias Rudolph. Yeah, I think all of these examples kind of speak to the the split philosophy in recruiting that Ohio State has, you know, meddled with and and kind of changed over the years. And you talk about the Jim the Jim Trestle days of you know kind of trying to put a, a fence around Ohio and things like that. And then you talk about the Urban Meyer era of you know going into California and Texas and and Florida and and all these you know hotbeds for these you know national recruiting battles. Um, and here you know you, you just see that kind of playing out where it's like. Okay, there's there's these guys in Ohio. You want to kind of uh, stop them from from going to places like Michigan, but then at the same time, if maybe if you can can get an even higher caliber recruit that that's not an in-state guy uh, instead, you know, do you try to do that? What do you kind of view as uh, the, the more important thing, Dan? There, um, especially like right now in in the Ryan Day era, in the the current you know landscape of Ohio State football, and and maybe with the Michigan rivalry uh, and and what's happened the past few years in the game being a factor as well. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important thing is landing the best talent possible. Like, I mean, I think that's simple, but I think it's true. But the most important thing is landing the best players possible. You, you can't recruit because of what other programs are doing. You have to recruit for who are the best players that give us the best chance to compete for big 10 championships and national championships. And so I think, you know, in, in Ohio State's case, Ohio State can't 
move a guy up its board solely because, well, if we don't get him, he's going to Michigan. Like you can't recruit that way. You got to recruit the guys that you really want. And so I think the most important thing is just getting the best possible talent. And so like I said, if you lose an in-state guy and then you get a guy from out of state who's even better, great. The problem becomes if you lose an in-state guy that you really want, and then you don't get comparable or better talent, whether it's in-state or out-of-state. So like you look at the running back situation of Jordan Marshall, like I think Ohio State bounced back from that one pretty well. Like, yeah, they lost Jordan Marshall, but they got James Peoples, who is now ranked higher than Jordan Marshall. They got Jordan Lyle. And so, you know, I think Ohio State bounced back pretty well. I think like you look at the cornerback position, you go, okay, there's been so much focus put on those guys, Bryce West and Aaron Scott. But if you don't get them, then will you be able to get top 100 corners from elsewhere to offset that? Like if they lose one of those guys and then they get Kobe Black, then great. Like I think you're good. If you lose one or both of those guys to Michigan and then you don't get top other top 100 corners, then I think you'd look at that as a big loss for Ohio State. And Danny, you mentioned the name Justin Scott there. Uh, who else are some of the other, you know, most most important targets coming to campus for official visits this weekend in Columbus? Yeah. So as we sit here recording on Tuesday evening, as far as I know, there's seven guys who are going to be visiting this weekend. Uh, as already mentioned, Bryce West and Aaron Scott, uh, Peyton Pierce, uh, who's already committed at linebacker, will be on campus, and then four other official visitors coming this weekend will be Justin Scott, Kingston Villamuasa. Miles Lockhart and Damarian Witten. Uh, Miles Lockhart is a guy who I think, you know, if anybody at that cornerback position, but he's a guy who's really considered a nickel. So whether you put him corner safety, I'm not sure, but uh, he's a guy that I think out of all the guys coming this weekend, Arvin Peyton Pierce, he's the one, if I was ranking them from most likely to least likely to be a Buckeye, I would put Miles Lockhart number one, even above the in-state corners because uh, really, ever since he's gotten an offer from Ohio State, he's spoken very highly about Ohio State and has not been shy about telling reporters like our own Garrick Hodge that you know Ohio State's at the top of his list. And so I think this weekend for him in Ohio State, it's really about closing the deal. I think they're already in position to land him. I think if things go the way they're supposed to go this weekend, I believe he's planning to announce his commitment the first week of July. I would be very surprised if he's not a Buckeye. I think... For the other three, I think there's work to do. I mean, Justin Scott is the guy that if, if I was doing most likely to least likely Buckeye, I would put Justin Scott at the bottom of that list. Miami seems to have a lot of momentum and that recruitment. I know Notre Dame's been a big player as well. I think Ohio State would need to make up some significant ground this weekend to land Justin Scott. But again, you, you get the guy on campus, you have a chance. And so... Uh, you know, I think, you know, they, they have a chance, but I would say it's probably a pretty slim chance with with Justin Scott. I, I think outside of West and Aaron Scott, I, I think probably the two guys that are really, you know, important this weekend are Damarian Witten and Kingston Villamuasa. Damarian Witten, in-state tight end from Glenville, who, you know, I think recently, until recently, I think Ohio State was viewed as a clear front runner in that recruitment. But after he made his official visit to Kentucky a couple of weeks ago, there's been some movement toward him. He might go to Kentucky instead of Ohio State. And so I think that one's going to be interesting 
to watch this weekend there of Can Bay uh, flip that momentum back in their favor and land Damarian Witten because you know we we've talked for years and years about Ohio State wanting to land that two tight end class and it's kind of eluded them year after year. And if they don't get Damari and Witten, it might elude them again. I think they might kick that can down the road to 2025 because I'm not sure if there's really any other tight ends uh, who are uncommitted right now that Ohio State is you know seriously pursuing. And so I think Damari and Witten's really the only major target left at that position. And so oh, Ohio State would love to land him, but it doesn't seem like as much of a slam dunk as it might have looked like a few weeks ago. And then Kingston Villiamuasa, a guy who's actually the first player in the entire 2024 class that Ohio State offered. Uh, I think Ohio State is still in the thick of that one, but Notre Dame uh, is in good position there. USC is also a major player there as well. Uh, he's from St. John Bosco High School, uh, same high school as Peyton Woodyard, who was also on campus this past weekend, though uh, still remains committed to Georgia. Uh, but, you know, him having those Southern California ties, I think USC is certainly a player there. I, I think he's had a lot of interest in Notre Dame for a long time, but I still think Ohio State, you know, has a chance there. And, you know, certainly even though they have Peyton Pierce and Garrett Stover, uh, they would really like to land Kingston Villiamuasa as well to to round out that linebacker class. Dan, in the 2025 class, we've gotten an up-close and personal look at a lot of top targets and, and priority guys for Ohio State uh, over these past couple weeks because of the recruiting camp season. Of course, a lot of a lot of top talents coming into the Woody Hayes Athletic Center to camp with the Buckeyes uh, this summer. And, you know, particularly at the quarterback quarterback position, Dan, uh, where, you know, it's, it's a pretty interesting battle there for the Buckeyes. And you have two in-state guys in, in Tavian St. Clair and Ryan Montgomery, uh, who actually you know, worked out side by side just the other day, Dan. So we got to watch those guys perform in a kind of a head to head setting uh, almost. And uh, Dan, I guess, what were your thoughts on, you know, seeing those guys and their talent uh, right there uh, side by side next to each other in a a manner in which you can kind of compare uh, what both of them bring to the table? Yeah. And it was kind of, you know, a metaphor, I think, for what that quarterback recruiting cycle is shaping up to be for Ohio State because, you know, I think for so long, Ryan Montgomery has been viewed as the front runner to be Ohio State's quarterback in that class. He was the first quarterback in that class to get an offer. Of course, his older brother, Luke Montgomery, is now a a freshman offensive tackle at Ohio State. But uh, St. Clair has certainly surged to, uh, I think, at the minimum, be very much on par with Ryan Montgomery. and. I am increasingly getting the vibe that St. Clair might be emerging as Ohio State's top target at quarterback in that class, along along with Bryce Underwood, who is the number one ranked quarterback in the class. And I think, uh, you know, he's probably still the the A1 guy that Ohio State would really like to land at quarterback. But I think their chances are better right now with the two in-state guys. And so I think, you know, there's a lot of focus uh, there toward recruiting those two. And, And I did think it was interesting that, St. Clair was back at Ohio State again on Tuesday uh, for another camp, more work with Corey Dennis. Uh, Both St. Clair and Montgomery are uh, expected to be back on campus again Wednesday for Ohio State's seven-on-seven camp, which is either currently ongoing or has already happened by the time you're actually listening to this. But that will be or will have been another opportunity for us to uh, get a look at those two side by side once again. And 
you know, I've said it a couple times. It's a very good problem for Ohio State to have, to have two quarterbacks from inside the state who very much look like Ohio State caliber quarterbacks. I don't think Ohio State would be settling taking either one of these guys. I think uh, St. Clair's rankings are going to rise significantly would be my guess based on uh, the offers that have come in for him recently and how good he's looked on the camp circuit. He's currently ranked as a free star with the number 333 overall ranking, but I think that is going to change. You know, Ryan Montgomery is a four star ranked number 196 overall, but uh, again, I, I think I think he's better than that ranking based on everything I've seen from him too. And so I, I think Ohio State would be in good shape landing either one of those guys. I, I think, I mean, I think Ohio State would probably love to land both of them. Like I, I know that's been kind of one of the questions out there of, you know, the two quarterback class, Ohio State typically only takes one. Like would Ohio State take both? I mean, I think Ohio State would take both. I think Ohio State would love to have both because I think they're both Ohio State caliber quarterbacks. They're both guys from inside the state. I think if you could get them both, you'd love to. I don't know that either one of them would necessarily want that, though, because you know you you want to be the guy in your class. And so while I think both of them are very highly interested in Ohio State and would love to play for Ohio State, you know, I, it's probably more likely that one of them, at least one of them, goes somewhere else. So I'd be surprised if they both did. I think, I think one of those guys, unless, unless Ohio State really makes a move with Bryce Underwood, then I think one of those two guys is going to be Ohio State's quarterback in that 2025 class. And I don't think Ohio State could really go wrong with either one of them because I think they're both very talented passers. I think they both. Uh, absolutely have the ability to be, you know, a great quarterback at Ohio State, but it does feel like St. Clair has some momentum there right now. Just the way that he his recruitment has been rising in, in recent months, and you, you look at him, we, he camped at Ohio State in the seven on seven camp a year ago, and then you look at him now, and you and you see he he's he's much more filled out. Like he just he physically he he's matured a lot and it's translating to the way he's throwing the ball. Uh, but I think, you know, he, he has taken a big step forward in, in terms of what he is as a passer and as a quarterback prospect. And that's why Ohio state is now, you know, pushing those chips in and going all in on him. Cause you know, Ohio state could have offered him a year ago and nobody would have really batted an eye, but I think they were hesitant to do so at that time because I think at that time they felt like Ryan Montgomery was, was better. And so they didn't want to offer another in-state quarterback at that time when they're really focused primarily on Montgomery. But I think now St. Clair has improved to where at the very least, those guys are considered equal. And so Ohio State, you know, stopped slow playing things with St. Clair and really went all in on trying to recruit him. Yeah, Dan, we were talking about this after uh, the camp on Tuesday. Like, I, I remember watching St. Clair last year, and he was, you know, a you know tall, skinny, lanky guy. Like, I was impressed with his talent and everything. But, you know, seeing him at camp, the his, his first time at camp uh, this summer here, and I was kind of doing a, a double take because I was like, man, is that the same guy? Because he just looks like, you know, much more, uh, you know, well-built and, and, and filled out, like you said, and everything like that. Just looks like a guy that 
you know, could play that position at the next level for sure. And that, that my one question, you kind of already addressed. It was just, uh, you know, when you when you take a look at those guys recruiting rankings specifically on, uh, you know, two, four, seven. I think they still have St. Clair as like a three-star prospect right now, but um, it certainly sounds like uh, from everything that, that that you've seen that, you know, the Ohio State coaches are seeing that, you know, other programs around the country are seeing that that is not going to be uh, the case for much longer. Well, yeah, I mean, again, you just look at the offers he's gotten recently and not just Ohio State, he's gotten Alabama, he's gotten LSU, he's gotten Michigan, you know, he's got a Penn State offer, he's got a you know, Tennessee offer. I mean, you don't get all those offers if you're not, a legitimately elite talent. And so uh, I think that, you know, he, he very much is that. Um, and I, again, I think he's, he's improving, you know, he's a lot better than what he was a year ago. And I think that's a good reminder to fact too, that like we're talking about a couple of kids who are going into their junior year of high school. Like they're both still growing. Like they're still a long way away from, from reaching their ultimate potential. These are guys who still have two more years of high school football left, but I think they're both pretty advanced in terms of their ability for guys who are juniors in high school. And I think that's why there's reason for Ohio state fans to be excited about the potential of landing either one of them. Dan, outside of those two guys, uh, we've obviously seen a a host of other top talents, uh, you know, in in multiple classes. Uh, You you talk about a guy like a 2026 quarterback, Will Griffin, Dan earning um, an, an Ohio state offer, I believe, uh, you said that he's the, the third quarterback in the class to receive an offer so far. Um, you talk about, um, you know, a guy like Devin Sanchez, the, the top cornerback in the country uh, in the 2025 class. Uh, he was just on campus on Tuesday. We got to see him play um, and a host of other, you know, top 40 overall. Uh, you know, one of the, the best defensive ends in the country is here, Mathis, um, out of Philadelphia. Uh, a, a lot of other guys as well, Dan, I guess, break down who out of that you know large group has kind of caught your eye the most here uh, in, in several of the most recent camps that we've uh, attended? Yeah, I mean, we talked about Damari and Witten before, but I was certainly impressed watching him, you know, particularly as a, as a pass catcher because he's an interesting guy because, you know, if you, you look at him right now, he, he looks more like a big receiver than he does a true tight end. You know, he's he's if he's going to be a full-time tight end of a collegiate level, he, he's going to have to put on some weight and bulk up a bit because right now, you know, he has almost more of a wide receiver build, uh, but he's, he's been you know, very tall and long and he's a great athlete. And, and we saw him make some great catches uh, during the one-on-ones uh, at the camp last week. And so I, I think, you know, you can certainly see the ability there, why he's a guy that Ohio state really wants, because I think he has a lot of potential to be a playmaking tight end, in the passing game. I don't think he's a finished product. Like you, you, you think of a Jelani Furman who we've talked about and like, he already looks like a grown man. Like he looks ready to go play college football right away as a freshman. I'm not sure Demarion Witten would be that guy. He might be a guy that needs a little more time to develop, but you can certainly see the upside that he has a, as a playmaker at that tight end position. And then, you know, another guy I think certainly uh, stood out on, uh, Tuesday was Devin Sanchez, who I, I believe is the highest ranked camper out of any class that we've seen at Ohio State so far this year. As he is a top ten prospect in the 2025 class, a five star corner, and you don't always see those guys going through the camp circuit. A lot of times when they come to visit, they just come to visit and they do their own private thing. But he was out there taking one on run reps 
going through the camp and uh, he looked really good in the process. And so you could certainly uh, see him uh, checking the box, looking the part of a five-star corner. Yeah. On the topic of tight ends that, that look like guys that could step in right away to Ohio state, Dan, uh, how about 2025 Lakota West tight end Luca Gilbert, who told us after his camp with Keenan Bailey today that he actually measured in it at six, seven and three eighths. So, uh, you know, almost, Six, seven and a half is a guy that's going to be entering his his junior year of high school. Uh, and he said he, he weighed in at 235. So, I mean, th- that's that's some serious size. You talked about Jelani Thurman. I mean, this is a guy that could, you know, if, if he ends up, you know, once he gets to the next level coming in as a freshman, could be bigger than Jelani Thurman, perhaps. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he didn't necessarily... Uh, completely wow me on some of the the one-on-ones, Dan, that I saw had some, um, you know, contested catches that got broken up and things like that. But I mean, just that guy's size alone and his excitement to that to potentially play for Ohio State. I mean, he seemed really enthusiastic uh, about the Buckeyes and particularly uh, tight end coach Keenan Bailey. And interestingly enough, Dan, he's also a guy that said he feels like he's a better blocker right now than he is a pass catcher, which isn't necessarily always the mold we see out of tight ends uh, coming into college and specifically coming into, you know, Ohio State. Uh, you know, you, you talk about all these guys that, you know, th- their whole kind of storyline, their first couple of years is can they can they round out their game as a blocker? This is a guy that is, you know, even more confident in his blocking ability right now um, than he is as a pass catching threat. And I think you talk about size. Another guy who comes to mind is Will Griffin, the quarterback you mentioned, 2026, because uh, I believe he measured in at something like 6'3", 220, and looking up to see if I can find the yeah six free 220 are his measurables and uh, he he's ripped like he does not look like a sophomore in high school like like he looks like somebody who's already been in a college strength and conditioning program and you know I I, I noticed any he's talking to his dad and his dad is ripped and I'm like okay I, <laughs> I see where that comes from like the genetics but you know from the weight room at home whatever you could just see like uh, he, he's got the genetics there to, you know, be a really well-built kid. And then the way he threw the ball, I mean, he was right there with Tavy and St. Clair and Ryan Montgomery in terms of, you know, his ability to sling the ball. He looked as good as any of the quarterbacks out there. And so I think he was a guy uh, who definitely Im- impressed me, both in terms of his physical stature and then just his ability. Another quarterback who impressed me as well, he didn't end up getting an offer, but Ty Hawkins, a quarterback from Texas in the 2025 class. I don't know if he will get an offer because of Montgomery and St. Clair, where, you know, those guys are the main targets. But I thought Ty Hawkins had a really good day, too. He camped the same day as Montgomery, St. Clair and Griffin. And he looked uh, he looked really good throwing the ball. I think he's going to be a really good quarterback for some power five school. Probably not going to be Ohio State, but I think uh, he's going to be. A, a really good quarterback somewhere. And then, you know, back on that topic of size, I think two other guys who I just think were noticeable too were two of the commits that camped at Ohio State, Garrett Stover and Ian Moore, and just how different they look physically now that they're going into their senior year than they did a year ago when they camped at Ohio State and earned their offers as juniors. Garrett Stover, as people might recall, he was offered as a safety when he camped at Ohio State last year. Now he's very clearly a linebacker. Like you look at him, he he is well built. Like he he's built like he's ready to go play linebacker in college right now. And he's still very athletic. So I think, you know, that's something that certainly stood out, just seeing that transformation of a guy who was a safety who could maybe grow into a linebacker to a guy who now he's a linebacker. 
period. And then Ian Moore as well. I think, you know, last, last year when he was at camp, you know, he was a guy who really impressed Justin Fry just with his movement ability and his technique. But you could see he was still pretty skinny for an offensive tackle. He was going to need to bulk up. And now he has bulked up. Like now he's, I think he's over 300 pounds. Like he looks like a guy who's ready to go into college and play offensive tackle now. Dan, another, you know, position group that, that stood out to me because uh, last week, you know, Tony Alford's group really had some, you know, a, a lot of really talented guys in, in that room. You talk about uh, Bo Jackson and Marquise Davis, two Ohio guys there, uh, and Tory Blaylock as well out of Humble, Texas. Got to talk to him uh, after camp. All those guys kind of uh, similarly rated in terms of their, you know, recruiting stock right now, all four-star uh, talents there. Um, I think, honestly, I think Marquise Davis out of Cleveland Heights, I believe, Kind of stood out to me the most. I mean, I mean, this guy was six foot tall. I think he was listed at, uh, and just you know, just he really had you know the attributes that you would look for in a high level running back. He even looked really good running some some routes as well. Uh, you know, going up for balls, uh, high pointing balls on, on some routes. So uh, you know, the, that was a group that I was really impressed with. And you know, Dan, you, you can't look past a guy whose name is Bo Jackson playing the running back position, uh, no matter who it is. And that's a guy that he's listed at like six one two. So got some size on him as well. Lots to talk about on the recruiting trail right now, for sure. But let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Bryce Sensabaugh, because on Thursday night, he is going to hear his name called in the NBA draft and most likely is going to be the second straight first round pick that Ohio State has had. Ohio State had uh, Malachi Branham selected in round one last year, a one and done guy who had a great freshman year at Ohio State and parlayed that into the opportunity to go play in the NBA right away. And now it looks as though Bryce Sensabaugh is going to have that same opportunity uh, will be the first year for Ohio State since 2012 and 2013 when Jared Sullinger and Deshaun Thomas were drafted that Ohio State will have back-to-back draft picks. And so certainly for uh, Chris Holtman and Ohio State, in terms of uh, trying to position Ohio State as a program where players can come and get developed and have a chance to go play in the NBA, certainly adding this to what Ohio State already had last year with Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell is going to strengthen that recruiting pitch. Yeah, Dan, for sure. I mean, you look at this past season and you're like, okay, how much did, you know, even even last season as, as well with, you know, Malachi Branham's year, it's like, okay, well, it's not like having those two NBA talents on the roster necessarily helped to lead Ohio State to, you know, getting over that, that Holtman hump, if you will, um, in either of the years that they had them in the program. But when you look at kind of the recent past, you look at the Thad Mata era, uh, Dan, he once had a seven year streak of putting at least one guy in the draft year after year. And as we all know, uh, that was, you know, some of Ohio State's most successful years, you know, that the program has had in, in, in many years. When you talk about final four runs, uh, you know, a trip to the, the national championship game and stuff like that. So uh, I, th- I think it's just a good sign. And I think that generally speaking, you know, producing NBA talent, you know, seeing, you know, young players coming up, seeing guys go to the NBA, especially as, as one and done, Dan, because, you know, that's obviously an attractive uh, thing for players. These, these aren't guys that, you know, necessarily spent you know their whole career developing there these are guys that are coming in getting a, a, a good chance right away uh, and then playing in the NBA so you, you'd like to to think you know for Ohio State's sake that maybe you know if they continue this role here it will, it will eventually lead to more success 
um, as these guys continue to have success at the next level. Yeah. And it's obviously conflicted emotions for Chris Holtman, right? Because like two years ago, he did not think Malachi Branham was going to come in and be a one and done player. One year ago, he did not think that Bryce Sensabaugh was going to come in and want to be a one and done player. And so he would love to have Malachi Branham and Bryce Sensabaugh on his roster right now, because if he had Malachi Branham and Bryce Sensabaugh on his roster right now, Ohio State would probably be one of the best teams in the country next year. Like they would have that kind of roster if you added them, assuming you you have all the other guys you have. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's certainly conflicting emotions there, I think, for Chris Holtman, because you know, you don't like losing a guy like that after one year, but at the same time, it, it does strengthen your recruiting pitch. And, you know, like it's like we talked about with Gene Smith a couple weeks ago when we asked him about basketball and he mentioned the fact that, you know, those freshmen, they had to play them. Otherwise, they're going to hit the transfer portal. And so that certainly seems to be something that Ohio State is actively thinking about. The fact that when you have talent like that, you have to put them in position to succeed right away because otherwise guys aren't going to want to come be a part of your program. You know, you, you, you would certainly love to have had Bryce back for another year, but at least now you can show, you know, these guys, you know, you know, a Tyson Chapman or a Scotty Middleton or a Devin Royal coming in, but Hey, if you're really good, we're going to put you in a position to succeed and give you that chance to go to the NBA when you're ready to do it. And Dan Sensabaugh is, is still widely considered, you know, a mid to late first round pick on a lot of mocks. Uh, you know, I'll probably end up taking one last look right before, you know, draft day on Thursday and kind of round those up in some kind of draft preview deal on 11 Warriors. Uh, so you guys can check that out later in the week. But I, I was when I was perusing some of the mocks and I know like they're they're changing more frequently here as we get down to the wire with the draft. But uh, some of the ones um, I've seen that that previously might have had Sensabaugh in the the first round did have him slipping out. I know ESPN's done like multiple updates and stuff in recent days, but the one I was looking at, I think just yesterday, had him slipping into the early second round. Um, although I did also see uh, Jonathan Gavani, the guy that does you know those mock drafts for ESPN, he was saying that you know if Sensabaugh ends up slipping that late, that he might end up being one of the biggest steals in the draft overall. When you obviously talk about his scoring ability, is his shooting range, his you know bucket getting ability and things of that nature. Um, and, and, you know, I've certainly seen a wide range on, you know, where he might end up uh, and, and a lot of teams that that could end up scooping him up as well. I know there was talk about him working out for the Lakers just recently. They've got the 17th pick. Um, I've seen some talk that he could be a great pick, a great fit with the Miami Heat at number 18 because uh, Miami had a lot of, you know, kind of poor offensive analytics in a lot of areas uh, and, and a, but a really good defense. And that's kind of, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh would be the exact opposite of that. If you, if you brought him in, you know, you, you have the defense to potentially kind of hide his, um, you know, shortcomings there as he kind of develops while still giving you a guy that can kind of bolster that on offense. Another team I've seen a lot is the Brooklyn Nets. The, the draft is taking place in Brooklyn and they have the 21st and 22nd pick Dan, which is kind of right in that range where a lot of people see him going. So that gives them, you know, two opportunities there uh, to scoop him up. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly I think the Lakers or the Heat would be a fun landing spot for him. Obviously, the Lakers, that would mean playing with LeBron, Anthony Davis, uh, maybe Chris Paul, depending on how that all plays out. Maybe D'Angelo Russell, if, if he's still around. So uh, the Lakers uh, would certainly be a fun fit. Certainly the Heat, uh, I'm sure, would be a very desirable fit for Bryce to be able to go to a team that just played in the NBA Finals and have a chance to compete at, at that high of a level right away. 
Griffin, what sense do you get in terms of where you think he ultimately ends up? Because I did think it was interesting uh, on Tuesday, the, the list of green room invites was released and Bryce Sensabaugh was not on that list. I think 25 guys were invited and he was not, which w- would suggest to me that you know they don't think he's going to be a lottery pick. He's probably going to be in that mid to late first round range. As you said, there, there have been some mocks that have even had him falling. I, I've seen a few that have him going uh, 32nd to the Indiana Pacers, who also have the 26th and 29th pick. So they could certainly be a team to watch in terms of either that late first or early second round range. But I mean, I, I'm in, I do believe Bryce Sensabaugh will be a first round pick, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's kind of similar to what happened of Malachi a year ago, where maybe he, he slides into that later first round. Maybe he's on the board a little bit longer than people might've thought originally. Yeah, Dan, I think just from some of the stuff I've, I've kind of seen a little bit that, you know, I, I would be, you know, I, a couple a couple months ago, let's say, I would have been very surprised if he ended up at like a second round pick. But I, I kind of get a sense that you know I, I wouldn't be completely shocked now if he kind of slips just out of that first round range. Just the fact that you know, like I said, Jonathan Gavani for ESPN uh, posted that that thing about you know if Sensabaugh does slide, it kind of gives me a sense of like okay, maybe he thinks that he's going to slide in this draft. Obviously, not being getting a green room invite and things of that nature. So um, I still think you know late first round, but I'd be less surprised now if he slips into the second round than I maybe was a little while ago. I mean, he was still even kind of hampered by that that knee injury that cost him basically just the final game of the season in the Big Ten tournament. Um, and I know that kind of kept him out of doing some of the early, you know, draft preparation stuff. I don't know how much that, you know, might have held him back, if any. Um, but yeah, that's th- those are kind of my thoughts on on where he might end up now, Dan. Well, there's only one thing I know for sure, but if he falls into the second round, I am going to get mad when I see all the tweets about who advised Bryce to go to the league, fire his agent, as you know, I was not, (laughs) I did not enjoy some of that uh, talking points with Luke Whipler. And so I'm sure that's going to happen if he falls. I'm sure even if he starts falling into the late first, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people told you so he should have stayed at Ohio State, but uh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I mean, you know, I think, you know, it was kind of obvious that, you know, as, as the way things unfolded for Bryce over the course of that first year at Ohio state, that, you know, this was what was ultimately going to happen. He was going to be in the NBA draft. And so we'll see where he ultimately goes. I mean, I'm not a, I, I follow the NFL draft very closely. I don't follow the NBA draft nearly closely enough to really make a good prediction about where I think he ends up, but uh, I'm certainly going to be interested to watch it on Thursday night and, and see where he lands. And then ultimately uh, watch his rookie season. Cause I do think, I, I do think he's a guy that the biggest question I have for him going into the NBA is, is his defense going to be good enough that he can play in the NBA right away? Or is he going to be a guy that's going to need a year in a G league or, you know, two-way type deal where, you know, maybe he's playing some G League, some NBA. Uh, is he, is he going to need those reps just to improve his defense to get to that NBA level? Or is his offense good enough that even if he's not an immediate starter, is he a guy that maybe can come off the bench and provide some of that much-needed scoring punch uh, for a team that's looking for some more bench scoring? Certainly a very exciting player to watch one way or another, Dan. And, you know, it's kind of funny because like less than a year ago, I was watching Bryce Sensabaugh before he'd ever played a single game at Ohio State, dropped 50 points in, in the Kingdom League at Ohio Dominican uh, here in Columbus. 
and get everybody excited. And now, you know, less than 12 months later, he's already off to the NBA. So it's been a whirlwind rise for Bryce for sure. Um, but Dan, speaking of some other guys that, you know, we won't get to see play again in the Scarlet and Gray, uh, but this time on the gridiron, I know you and our very own Matt uh, for 11 Warriors uh, compiled a, a, a list. Uh, you actually continued a series, Dan. I believe that you guys started uh, in COVID, right? Looking at the relaunched, it would be accurate because we actually did the quarterbacks last time, four Kings quarterbacks. And then it was like literally like the week that we launched it. Then Kevin Warren announces, hey, we actually are going to play football this year. And so then we're like, well, we got to cover like this actual football season. So we, we didn't end up doing it, but now we're doing it right. We're going to do it all. Uh, the next few months leading up to uh, the first week of a season, uh, looking at uh, Ohio State's four greatest players at every position uh, started this past weekend with the quarterbacks, which you can find on 11warriors.com and linebackers will be coming up this week. And Dan, I really liked how you guys did this too, because, you know, when you, when you talk about lists of the greatest players of all time in, in a sport or a team um, that has so much history and tradition, you know, sometimes you, you search up lists like that for, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and you you look at a list and you're kind of like, you're maybe even, and not that I'm questioning your credentials, Dan, but just any list that you find a top whatever list throughout history, you're kind of like, well, how did they kind of come to this decision? Is this just one person's kind of opinion on it? Or, and do I even consider this person in an authority, an authority on the subject, you know, things of that nature. But, but that's why I liked how you guys did it because it was not only, you know, you putting your input and Matt putting his input, people that have watched Ohio state closely, you know, kind of in different eras, uh, but, but also having the fans vote as well and having those uh, results kind of compile the, the, the primary list there, because, uh, you know, these are Ohio state super fans to the core. I mean, uh, the, the 11, the, you know, people at 11 warriors that, that read all the content on the site and keep up with the Buckeyes. I mean, there's probably not a, a lot of better people to ask on that subject. Cause a lot of people are, you know, long time Ohio state fans. And Dan, I don't know if, if you want to break down what the results from that poll and then what your actual picks were for the top four quarterbacks, uh, in Ohio state history. Yeah, so our readers decided that uh, the four kings at quarterback, as we are calling it, were Troy Smith, Justin Fields, JT Barrett, and Rex Kern. Uh, that is the order in which they received the most votes. And, you know, I think the first two were really no brainers in my mind. I mean, Troy Smith, he's the only quarterback in Ohio State history that's won the Heisman Trophy. Like, of course, he's got to be on there. Justin Fields. In my mind, Justin Fields is the best quarterback that's ever played at Ohio State. Uh, you know, just, you know, the, the really kind of a prototype of everything you want in a quarterback for Ohio State, especially in the modern game with his ability to both pass and run the ball. I don't think Ohio State has ever had a better or more talented quarterback. And so he was my my first choice, though. You can certainly go either way on those two. And and those two were both uh, very clearly voted in as as two of the four best quarterbacks in Ohio state history. The latter two are where I differ, but again, I, I have to acknowledge the fact, and it's like you said, I mean, you can question anyone's credentials on it. Uh, I, I will acknowledge my, whether you want to call it recency bias or exposure bias. And the fact that I covered these two quarterbacks at Ohio state, but I, I gave my final two votes to CJ Stroud and Dwayne Haskins. And for me, the reason for that is, I believe C.J. Stroud and Dwayne Haskins are the two best passers Ohio State has ever had. I mean, you look at what C.J. did the past two years. 
Uh, there's never been a more efficient passer in Ohio State history than C.J. Stroud. Of course, he also became the highest ever drafted quarterback for Ohio State as the number two overall pick. And so, in my opinion, C.J. Stroud should be in the, the top four. Uh, Dwayne Haskins also got my vote because, I mean, you look at his 2018 season, uh, I think it's the best passing season an Ohio State quarterback has ever had. Now, I know some of our voters and their rationale, they said, you know, I, I considered Haskins, but I, I couldn't put him on there because he only started one season. And I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's certainly fair. But for me, I just, I really just looked at it as, okay, who do I think were the four best quarterbacks at the peak of their Ohio State career? And in my mind, those are Justin Fields, Troy Smith, CJ Stroud, Dwayne Haskins. Uh, you know, J- JT Barrett, you know, to me, uh, I mean, you look at, I mean, he, he holds a lot of Ohio state's records, career records, and he's probably going to hold them for a long time. Cause it's pretty rare for a quarterback to be a four-year starter at the collegiate level these days, particularly with what Ohio state is doing now in terms of producing NFL quarterbacks. And so JT has a very real case, uh, for being on here because of his career records. However, in my mind, I watched them all play. I think CJ Stroud and Dwayne Haskins were better quarterbacks than JT Barrett. And so that's why I voted for both of them over JT Rex Kern is the harder one for me because I mean, he, his Ohio state career was over decades before I was born. And so I know that many of the Ohio state fans who watched Rex Kern play felt very strongly that he should be in the top four. And so I'm not arguing against it. I'm really just going off of, what I know the best and what I feel most strongly. And that's why I voted for CJ Stroud and Dwayne Haskins. And I will say for me personally, the guy who was hardest to leave out of a top four was Braxton Miller, because I I think Braxton has become underrated uh, over the years. I think it's, it's become somewhat forgotten that Braxton was a two time silver football winner as the MVP of the big 10. I think because of how the the passing game has proliferated at Ohio state over the past decade, I I think people have started to forget how good Braxton was, but he was just such a dynamic player. I think certainly the, the best running quarterback Ohio state has ever had. And maybe my favorite Ohio state player to ever watch. I mean, he, he was just so much fun to watch with, with just how, dynamic and athlete he was. And so while I did ultimately side with CJ Stroud and Dwayne Haskins as my last two picks, Braxton would have been my next guy on my list. Dan, I wanted so badly to find a way to get Braxton Miller on that list. I feel the same way as you with with a lot of those points there, but like, think about what he had to do coming in, starting as a true freshman on a team, like getting inserted as, as a starter that first year when Ohio State was, you know, undergoing their their worst year and basically forever uh, and still providing Ohio State fans with some just electric, unbelievable moments that season as well. Then obviously you mentioned the, the 2012 season, an undefeated year. You know, that's a season where, you know, if they didn't have the, the postseason ban and, and everything like that, uh, could could he have done something spectacular at the end of that season, too? And, uh, you know, p- potentially won a national title and, and got you know, if so, I mean, he'd be definitely be higher on uh, people's lists in this regard. And then obviously you talk about the shoulder injury that ended up, you know, basically ending his career as a quarterback, because, you know, if he doesn't get hurt before that 2014 season, I mean, who's to say he's not the one that's leading Ohio State, you know, to a national championship that season. And then, you know, obviously his his final year, uh, I think, didn't necessarily go 
wasn't quite as you know amazing as it looked like it could have been when you talk about that spin move against Virginia Tech and everything like that. So he had some you know some unfortunate circumstances there that I think might have held him back from being higher on a lot of lists. Dan, I would also I had to put JT Barrett on the list not for his pure quarterbacking talent per se or anything like that, but just the the kind of Iron Man lifetime achievement you know career accolades. Uh, and everything like that. I, I felt like he deserved a place on the list. I had uh, Troy Smith at number one, Fields, uh, Barrett, and then Haskins getting an edge over Stroud uh, just because Stroud, no Michigan wins, no Big Ten titles. And despite having you know such an amazing performance against Georgia, no CFP wins either. So I felt like I had to dock him in some way there, even though he had another year as a starter over Haskins. Um, but really, basically like six guys for me trying to make those four spots. And you know, like I, I really can't speak, like you said, to the the Rex Kearns of the world and things of that nature, unfortunately. But uh, perhaps the uh, you know people like Matt and and some of the Eleven Warriors voters and readers can speak to the you know contributions and significance of guys from those eras. And linebackers are up next, and and this one's really interesting because I can tell you as we sit here Tuesday afternoon, you talk about you know more guys than spots. It, the voting is very close. So if you are listening to this and you haven't voted yet, go to 11warriors.com, go to our forum and, and vote for your four best linebackers of all time. Because uh, as we sit here today, uh, Chris Spielman looks like he's very clearly going to be one of the four Kings. He, he has by far the most votes, but then you have five guys for three spots that are really, really close in the voting right now. And those are AJ Hawk, James Laurinaitis, Tom Cousineau, Andy Katzenmoyer, and Randy Gratishar. And, and you look at all these guys, I mean, it, it's really hard to leave any one of these guys out. I mean, Chris Spielman, Tom Cousineau, Randy Gratishar, they're all college football Hall of Famers. James Laurinaitis, he's, he's a free-time All-American who's probably going to join him in there soon enough. I mean, A.J. Hawk, he was probably the best defensive player in the country when he was at uh, the peak of his Ohio State career. And Andy Katzenmoyer, he was also a multi-time All-American who was a, a superstar linebacker for Ohio State. And then for me personally, the, the other guy who I couldn't leave off my top four is Ryan Shazier. And, and he's, as we sit here today, he's a distant seventh in the voting. I don't think he's going to make uh, the, the, the final four. But to me, it's kind of like with Justin Fields. When I think about what a modern player at the position should look like for Ohio State, when I think of quarterback, I think Justin Fields. When I think linebacker, I think Ryan Shazier. His ability, his athleticism, his ability to make plays from sideline to sideline, I think he's very clearly the best linebacker Ohio State has had in, in the last 10 to 12 years. And, and so for me, you know, just because I, I watched him the most of any of those guys, I had to put Ryan Shazier on my list. My, my top four that I voted for, I went with Tom Cousineau. This is a guy who was a number one overall pick in the NFL draft as, as a linebacker. Uh, just had phenomenal stats for his Ohio State career. I did go for Spielman. I think he's kind of that quintessential Ohio State middle linebacker that you think of. And so I did have him on my list. I went with James Laurinaitis because there aren't many free-time All-Americans in college football, and he's one of them. And so to be a free-time All-American, I had to put him on the list. And then I went with Shazier to round out my four. Who did you go with? Same, same three guys. And then I put AJ Hawk in there, Dan, at that number four spot. But, you know, this, this is a hard, I mean, this list might be even better than the quarterback list in some ways. You hear some of these names, Dan, and it's just like, 
it just makes you feel like, you know, it just gives off that, that gridiron toughness physicality. I mean, some really legendary names, uh, you know, especially in the college ranks. This is like Ohio State football just kind of like comes at, out at you when you start, uh, you know, reading these names and looking at all these guys accomplishments. I mean, that, that's a seriously great uh, class um, you know, if you, when you talk about a historical position at one school. Another piece that uh, I wrote for 11 Warriors this week, but I'll certainly encourage everyone to read, is our annual list of Ohio State's top athletes of the year. And and this list gets bigger every year. There's so many accomplishments, but I feel like I have to go even bigger every year. So I think a couple years ago, I went with 25. I think last year, I went with 30. This year, I decided to go 36 athletes for 36 varsity sports. So I ranked the top 36 athletes of the year. Not, not one from every sport. There are some sports that have three or four on there. There are some that don't have any, but tried to rank who I felt were uh, the most superior of Ohio State's many great athletes this year. Uh, I ultimately settled on a top five ranking of uh, number five, Lyle Yost. He was the NCAA diver of the year, won the national championship in the one uh, meter dive was also an all American in two other diving disciplines and was also named the Arthur Ash uh, male sports scholar of the year for his accomplishments, both in the pool and academically at number four, I went with James Trotter, who I know uh, Griffin just talked to him uh, a couple of weeks ago after he won uh, the NCAA doubles championship. Uh, he also went 29 and one in, in singles, which I looked it up. That was the best singles record of any uh, player in in men's college tennis this year, and so uh, he had a phenomenal year and played a huge role in Ohio State uh, winning a uh, another Big Ten championship as well as making a run to the finals of the NCAA tournament. At number three, I went with Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State's first ever unanimous All-American wide receiver. You think of all the great receivers Ohio State has had; he's the first one to ever achieve that. At number two, I did go with C.J. Stroud, uh, being Ohio State's uh, first two-time Heisman Trophy finalist since Archie Griffin, uh, really cementing his place as one of Ohio State's quarter best quarterbacks ever. I, I felt like he belonged in that top two. And then number one, for the second year in a row, number one spot going to Sophie Jakes, who uh, won the Patty Kazmaier Award, which is the equivalent of the Heisman Trophy in women's college hockey. And uh, she also led Ohio State uh, to a conference championship, the number one seed in the NCAA tournament, and its second straight national championship game appearance. Uh, you know, you you did mention earlier, Griffin, that you know sometimes when just one person makes a list, you can question uh, their rationale. And I know some of the readers have already had some uh, critiques of my rankings, so I will give you the same opportunity, Griffin. When you looked through those rankings. What what's your critique? What do you think that maybe I got wrong in terms of putting somebody too low or putting somebody too high? Well, Dan, first of all, I'd say it's a, it was very you know admirable of you to to make such a, a wide ranging list to highlight you know the accomplishments of so many great athletes at Ohio State that you know maybe don't typically get that amount of attention. Um, and so, you know, in a very difficult task as well, because these aren't, you know, all sports that we are covering day in and day out. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that required a lot of research and things like that as well. Um, if I had to have a critique, Dan, uh, I, I'll throw this one out there. Marvin Harrison Jr. Number three. I mean, he might be the biggest superstar in general in Ohio State Athletics coming, going into, you know, this upcoming season. 
Um, but just like, and I know the, the, the unanimous all American honor is, is, is great and everything like that. But you know, and, and I know a lot of people thought that he got robbed for the Boletnikov and stuff like that. But if you, if you, if you look at it through that lens, you're like, okay, well he didn't even necessarily win the award for the best player at his position in the sport, which leads me to, and this is really me, you know, just trying to find a critique. I, instead I might, I might drop him lower, you know, cause maybe if he had like a, you know, a, a record, a, a record breaking season by all measures and things like that too. Like you, you think of a, a Jackson Smith and Jigba type uh, season statistically and things like that, or Ohio State won the national championship, this and the third. Um, but I think maybe someone like uh, Adelaide Aquila, who I know um, didn't end up having a, a chance to partake in the, like the outdoor track and field championships, the, the great shot put um, player. Is that how you would say that shot putter? Shot, put, that shot putter, shot put thrower. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four, won her fourth um, NCAA championship in shot put and set a school record in shot put this season. I mean that, you know, I, not that I'm arguing that the, the shot put scene in, in college athletics is more competitive than, you know, college football and stuff like that uh, by any means, but just the individual accomplishments there really being at the top of, you know, the field in an entire sport um, and winning the national championships as well, I think maybe uh, could get a, a bigger boost there. Uh, in lieu of someone like Harrison. Yeah, so I'll say this. If, if this had been a ranking of overall career achievements for each of these athletes, I would have put Adelaide Aquila number one. She, again, like you said, four NCAA championships. No other Ohio State track and field athlete has ever done that. I mean, she broke the NCAA record outdoors last year. The, the reason I left her outside of the top five was because you know she, she didn't win a Big Ten championship this year. I, I think she fouled out. In, in that event. And so she won the NCAA championship indoors, but because she wasn't eligible to compete outdoors, it was, it was mostly just that, which again, like just that we're talking about winning a national championship. That's why she's number six on the list. But the reason I put those other five ahead of her was because for her, it was really, it was, you know, one fantastic performance. Whereas I felt those other five athletes, you know, it was more than just one fantastic thing. It was a lot of fantastic things. And so that was why I ultimately put her six. But I mean, you look at what she did in her grim and she is undoubtedly one of the all time greats in Ohio state track and field. I mean, she's one of the greats in shot putting period, like just what she's accomplished going to the Olympics. You know, I'm sure she's going to go on to have a pro career as well. I mean, everything she's accomplished is phenomenal. And so a very fair critique there, but, but that would be my reasoning. And, you know, like I said in the article, I mean, this is a very inexact science when you, when you're trying to rank athletes across various sports, I mean, it's, it's totally subjective. There's no, there's no one way there's no objective formula you can come up with to compare how a pistol shooter should be compared to a baseball player. Like they're totally different sports. And so it's very subjective, but you know, I, I I try to just kind of do my best and kind of look at, you know, there's different factors too, because in some, some of these, like somebody say like, well, you know, this person was a all American in free events. CJ Stroud wasn't even an all American in football. Yeah. But there's also like you can there's only one all-American quarterback like in, you know, swimming, for example, you could have eight all-Americans in each of the different events. And so I, I tried to look at that as well in terms of not just simply looking at like, you know, 
who is an All-American, whatnot, trying to factor in like the totality of everything in terms of how how hard it is to accomplish things in their sport and 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 all of that. But again, it's 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 completely subjective, and I totally acknowledge that and certainly expect uh there to be uh plenty of disagreements of the rankings. But you know, really the the real goal of doing this article is from my perspective is to highlight the many great accomplishments across Ohio state sports. Because like you said, we've talked ad nauseum about what CJ Stroud did last year. We've talked ad nauseum about what Marvin Harrison jr. Did last year. We've talked ad nauseum about what Bryce Sensabaugh did last year, but a lot of these athletes, we may have never talked about them on real pod Wednesdays before we may have written about them once or twice on 11 warriors, even though they had these phenomenal seasons. And so really, you know, my number one goal in terms of, of putting together this article was to highlight all of their accomplishments. You know, the, the rankings are more for fun. I mean, this is what we do in sports is we, we, we rank things. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes there's no real rhyme or reason for it. We just do it for fun. But, you know, really, I think the ultimate goal of this article was to highlight the, the many great accomplishments that Ohio state athletes have this year. And the fact that I felt compelled to highlight 36 of them tells you how many great athletes there were at Ohio state over the past year. Yeah, Dan, it is a fantastic article and list for all of those reasons. I would encourage everybody to go check that out. Uh, Dan, by this time next week, I'm going to be on vacation. So we're going to have a special guest replacement for me on the podcast once again. But uh, I will leave that to your discretion, my friend. Who will it be? You'll have to find out next week. Where, where will you be vacationing, Griffin? Well, I'm doing a few things in Columbus uh, before going to Miami with a friend who has like a his dad as a property or something. So I'll be out there uh, living it up in Miami for a few days and doing some other fun things in Columbus before that. Very nice, Griffin. Well, we, we hope you have fun on your vacation and uh, you'll be back on the show in two weeks. We're, we're kind of doing what we did a couple months ago again, where you're going to be on vacation, but I'm going to be on vacation. So uh, we'll go a couple episodes with some guest hosts filling in, but I will be back next week. So look forward to talking to you all then.